Loki is in love. Ravana is not to be trusted. We meet the Time Lords. Mobius never gets his jet skis. And then shit gets weird. Um, welcome <laughs> to the MCU pod. <laughs> then shit gets weird. Yeah, yeah. And then shit gets weird. Yeah. Uh, welcome to MCU pod, your companion podcast to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm your host, Grant Davis. And alongside me my, is my co-host, Mike Garcia. Hello. We have a great guest That's- today, Grant. We do. We're excited once again to be joined by our by our buddy and TV critic Melissa Guermonti. Hello. <laughs> so great to from, be here. Right. Live from Canada. How's it up there? We're starting to come out of our pandemic hibernation. So it's it's kind of nice at the moment. Good to hear. Good yeah. to hear. Um I'm excited for you to be on this episode because this was an awesome episode of Loki. Uh, episode four was um, just like, I enjoyed episode three, but I think a lot of people were like a little let down that it was a short and um, kind of really kind of self-contained and not didn't have enough Mobius. And this one, everything was happening and it was, it was bonkers. Um, yeah, very excited for you to be able to join us. Um, we... Before we get into discussing that, I do want to say that um, if you guys are first checking us out, um, welcome. And if you're watching us live on YouTube, if you want to uh, comment to us, you can type POD at the start of your comments and we'll be able to see them over on the side. We'll pop your comments on here and uh, we appreciate all the engagement. Hey, our, our buddy Clyde is here. We should, I should send a link to him, see if he wants to pop on too. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we... Um, would love to have your feedback there if you want to help us out. You guys know you you know all the other ways you can really help us out. What you might not know is that we're also available over on patreon.com slash MCU pod. That's where you can financially support us and you can give us uh, it's a monthly donation. So if you want to give $1 a month, two bucks a month, three, four, five, I think I set categories for all of them and you can join, join different silly groups like the Avengers or the uh, West Coast Avengers or the Illuminati, whatever you want. Uh, we appreciate all of your support, and that's what helps us run this little podcast. Um, yeah, I think I think that's about it. I don't really think I need to run into anything else. Um, there's nothing else big in the news this week for Marvel. So, unlike last week where we really went into talking about like Shang Chi, right? This week, I think we can just kind of dive in to talking about the episode. What do you guys think? Let's dive. Let's dive. Time to Let's belly dive. flop right in. <laughs> All right. Uh, this week's episode. Um, oh, my gosh. I uh, The Nexus event is the name of the episode. Uh, episode four. And once again, this is uh, directed by Kate Heron, is written by Eric Martin. And the IMDb synopsis is frayed nerves and paranoia infiltrate the TVA as Mobius and Hunter B-15 search for Loki and Sylvie. We start this episode and discussion the same way we do every episode with a little bit of snap judgments. Mm-mm-mm-mm. I left that Patreon thing up there. Let me take that off. Just keep um, it on the whole, the whole show. Come on. <laughs> We need the money. This is actually just a pledge drive this episode. Um, Melissa, you want to go ahead and kick, kick things off? Give us your snap judgment. 
this was probably one of my favorite episodes of Marvel television to date. There was just so much that happened. So many things that were revealed, but for everything they reveal, it's like another mystery is set up. Um, some things that I suspected all along actually were kind of proven true. And I guess I'll just have to wait and see how that all plays out. And as someone who is a huge Doctor Who fan, this is probably my favorite Doctor Who episode in over a decade. Because <laughs> that's what it felt like. <laughs> it got it got pretty weird there at certain points. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to pull up the, the very Doctor Who-y <laughs> kind of st- stage here. Um, yeah, I was it's loving Doctor this. Doctor Who, stuff. but with a budget. With a massive budget. Because when I talk <laughs> Doctor Who, I'm talking like David Tennant's first season. So like, what was that? 2005, 2006, like mid-2000s. Spinning Christmas trees and shit. <laughs> oh, before that. Even before the spinning Christmas trees. Evil mannequins. <laughs> <laughs> no, if anything, it was like, it brought me back to like some of my favorite episodes of that show, which is like the Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit, which are kind of those dark apo- near apocalyptic circumstances and I don't know why I love that stuff it's like a world on the verge of collapse and how are they going to get out of it are they going to get out of it so this right. just hit all the, the right buttons for me uh, Mike what do you give it I really love this episode I think it was probably my favorite episode of the entire run since the premiere uh there was some really clever and super compelling like examination of the Loki character in this episode. We've been getting that all along, but it felt deeper here. There was some great like thematic character-based storytelling, which is what I'm here for. And like we're saying, it was all surrounded by just more and more increasingly bizarre sci-fi concepts and wild reveals and what-the-fuck moments. I mean... The timekeepers are Chuck E. Cheese robots, and Loki is also an alligator. It's like, yeah, bring on the crazy. I, I bought the ticket. I'm here for the ride. As long as you can ground all this grand silliness in like an emotional story with great actors that I find emotionally compelling, I'm in. And that's what's happening. Like, it's pretty exciting. Everything you said, and I feel like the emotional beats are also there. Like um, I was kind of kidding, but I I also saw elements of the, the relationship between Loki and Sylvie in last episode. And that was like how I started off our discussion last week of like, Oh, it's a romance um, between him and himself. But in a way, Loki, the narcissist, it makes sense that what he would find appealing is, is himself and that's what we essentially got here there's there's an element of a of a love story there um and i'm okay with it i think some people were like don't ship them and i was like "Eh, if it goes that way that's fun and you know there's something tragic about mobius and i'll i'll be admittedly disappointed if we don't see him on a jet ski at some point uh in this season but but there's stakes when you see you know those two characters get blasted and 
that was intense for for a second you know mike you brought it up too when we were chatting about this earlier you're like they're handing the reins to sylvie and i kind of wish we didn't see that that end bumper scene with the alligator because it's like that's balls in a tv show to like just be that daring and just say we're killing off that main character we're switching over who the the main protagonist is um and uh ride with us because we're marvel and we have your money (laughs) you're gonna do whatever we say um so yeah i mean all of this just the pacing and the energy of it um even even the repetitive elements with uh sif popping in uh just to knee him it was still fun it was a fun bit it's i feel bad that uh i keep seeing sif like pop into mcu but just as like gimmicks instead of getting to be her real character it feels like but what, whatever. It's fun for us, the audience, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Maybe one day they'll bring her back, like, in earnest. We'll see. She's a, I think she was... A, oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, they should do a series that's her, and, like, but she's somehow on Earth and doesn't know why, and they find her in a bag in the middle of Times Square. And oh, wait. And she's and has a bunch of badass tattoos. <laughs> she, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that- I that think it would it'd be a pretty interesting show for a few seasons. I think it might have some fans. <laughs> yeah. uh, we got a snap judgment from the audience. Um, Will Morris says, the show needs more Google. Give us more Google. Uh, yeah, agreed. Oh, oh, and yeah, more. we have another it guest is... on here. Oh. Clyde. I'm, yeah. I, I'm only here because Melissa's here. Clyde Haynes is here. <laughs> so Clyde? Well, uh, this is perfect timing because we just gave our snap judgments and it's your turn. You can tell us what you thought of episode four. Um, okay. So I have to say that the best comment that I've heard so far goes to Mike in reference to calling the time keep- keepers um, Chuck E. Cheese robots. <laughs> um, it's like the dumbest thing I said. Thank you. <laughs> no, no. But but seriously, if you think about a couple of weeks ago when I was on, we were talking about there's a question of who do you think the timekeepers are? Um, robots would have not been an answer that I would have co-signed on. So this show, and I say that to say, what's amazing to me about this show is that we all watch a lot of television. The four of us watch more television than your average human being, probably. And so for you to do something that surprises me at least three times in this episode was like, okay, wow. Like this is different. Like I look back and I was, I was talking to my wife and going and trying to explain this show to her. And I was trying to go like, it's, it's different from WandaVision. It's different from Falcon. Like this is, this has got a different feel and I like it. Now it's hard for me to explain exactly why. Right. Like from an MCU Marvel type of standpoint, how do I explain to someone what makes this an incredible show? But that's a part of it. The fact that it's like Doctor I, Who with a budget. I liked that. It's one. <laughs> Doctor Who. In a, well, I mean, Doctor Who in a budget was also a great comment because I look, there are people who I'm going to, there's going to be a bunch of fans who just hate me after this, but I keep trying to watch Doctor Who. I keep trying to get into it and some weird space Muppet 
gets in the way of me really trying to get in. But you're right. If Doctor Who had a real budget, right? This is the Sometimes evolution. Well, this is like the evolution to me of like Farscape, right? It is, it's just, it's the stories there. You've got this, this, these aliens that look not quite comical, but, but interesting. Um, I, I just thought this, this episode was really fascinating. And I was, I was kind of glued to my seat every minute. Um, and again, it's, you know, not to reference yet another show, but if I think like it had that moment to me of Game of Thrones when Ned Stark died, right? Like, <gasps> oh, sorry, just, spoiler, spoiler <laughs> I'm alert. Just being, I'm Come just on being now. a goof. Yeah. <laughs> Eight-year-old spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah. But like when when I look over and and I see Loki dematerializing, I'm kind of like, no. Now, now, yes, okay. Like I didn't expect that. Um, that's what the show gives you. It's just not predictable. And yeah, I mean, we joked about the whole love scene, like the the idea of Loki on Loki romance. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. thought it would be weird, and it probably is weird. So maybe that says something mm-hmm. about me, but. <laughs> It also kind of sort of made sense. So I thought that, like, look, I thought this was a great episode. I, I might watch it again. Game of Thrones, I think, prepared us for that not to be as weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so did uh, Star Trek Picard season yeah. one. Um, two things on what you said. I agree with everything you're saying, Clyde. And um, the thing about the when when they hit Loki when they hit Loki with a melty stick right after hitting. Um, Mobius with the melty stick, or what do they call it? The pruner, right? Pruning, yeah. Pruning. Um, the this show has shown us such bizarre things that were so unpredictable, unpredictable from the beginning that it earned our, uh, it earned that moment of suspense for us, where we actually thought, for a large part, I think most of us thought, at least for a second. Is Mobius actually dead? Is Loki dead? Like that that was like a compelling bit of suspense for for a few seconds for me legitimately in this episode. I was like, because the show has done so the show in small gradual ways, the show has been somewhat um uh pushing the boundaries of what a show like this can do and been so bizarre and revolutionary from the beginning that it earned it earned that. So I thought maybe this is actually happening happening. So, but that only lasted a minute. I was like, oh, no, there's no way. They pruned them both. They're going somewhere else. And we can we can discuss where we think they are in a little bit. Um, but the other thing you said, Clyde, about the uh the romance between Loki and Sylvie. Um, you know, I, I was falling for for that relationship last episode when we spent all that time with them. The episode was dedicated to them building that relationship. And here, when that relationship was threatened, um, I I really didn't want it to break up. I wanted them to get closer. And um, I don't think it's weird. I think uh, a big thing that Loki responds to in Sylvie is that she is so incredibly different from him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, she, you know, like, like a lot of people, I can speak for myself, when I fell in love with my wife, I saw... She showed me things that I could be, right? She, she was like, uh, she made me better 
just by being who she was. And I think that's part of what Loki sees in Sylvie. Oh, this person is me, but so different and actually so courageous and brave and so strong of living her entire life on the run and outwitting this huge force like the TVA for decades. I, I don't know. I just, I just think he finds that very attractive and compelling. So it makes sense for me that he would be in love with her. It just, to just add on to that, and I mean, I don't see so much a romantic love between them as I see insane chemistry and a massive respect, especially on Loki's part. Like, Loki sees Sylvie as a worthy, you know, someone who is worthy of the moniker Loki. So it to me, I think that's an even bigger thing than, you know, a potential romance that him being able to say that there is someone else that is God level like him. And that I think really came through in this episode. Yeah. I, I would, I'd add to that, Melissa, that, um, y- you know, last week at work, I was, I was in a meeting <clears throat> and there was a woman who I, every time I'm in a room with this woman, she's, she's all smiles. And she, she kind of shared with us that she was going through, kind of a pretty difficult time in her life but she she's deliberately and intentionally look for look for joy um and and happiness in every day and i think when i look at her i go man i i want to be like that like i want some of that in my life you know not to get bogged down by the things that are going wrong but to look for the the joy in every day i think that when loki looks at sylvie He's looking at pieces of himself that he's going, she is courageous. Like she's, she figures things out on her own. Like I, I want some of that. And, and because she's Loki, he's looking going, I can be that. So I think she inspires him mm-hmm. to almost be a better version of himself because the version that we know of Loki is the trickster. He's always kind of out for himself and Sylvie has a, a bit of a higher purpose, a calling. And he's looking at that and going, I, he's drawn to it. Drawn, Mike, to your point, to be a better version of himself. Um, and so I, I don't know if it's love, you know, and there's a romance in it. I, I don't need to see all that. But I think what we're seeing is that the Loki that we've always known, that's always looking for a way out. He's going, you know, I want to be the god of Asgard. I want to be Thor-like in my own way. And, and I think that's why he's, he's, he's drawn to her. Yeah, I, I don't think it needs to be a romance. It kind of felt... At least you think it's from, more platonic? At least from Hiddleston's portrayal, I think it felt that way to me. Uh, mm-hmm. But if, it can, if it's platonic, that's probably even better. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. I, I, okay, and I, I got to say this, and... Melissa, feel free to jump all over me as the creator of FemTV. Um, but do we need a romance? I mean, I feel like there's a romance kind of component in every one of these things. And and I'm going, I, I don't know that we need one here. Right? I mean, we, we definitely had the romance between Falcon and uh, Winter Soldier. <laughs> well, and I we... was there for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we almost had the romance between the Winter Soldier and Falcon's sister. Um, 
Yeah, that was real close. I'm just saying, I I don't know that we have to have this this romantic chemistry here. No, we don't. No, definitely not. Um, I think that the way they're writing this so far that it, it, even if it did kind of go in that direction, the way they've written Sylvie is that she won't just feel like she is, you know, a romantic interest for Loki. They've established her enough as her own character. Like they've established her quite well as as her own character and given her agency and a purpose and everything. So she's not just there to further Loki's storyline. Right. And in, in fact, fact, she's like taking the torch, right? <laughs> exactly. And when to go back to what Mike was saying about the pruning, when that happened, I was like, oh my gosh. And then I was like, well, if, you know, if Sylvie's taking the reins, I'm on board. Yeah, she's right. earned it. Mm-hmm. I, I almost wish they didn't undercut that with that, that end scene. Yeah. I, um, I have a theory on that, why they did that, because they wanted to avoid the outrage. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they could not deal with. I I think that to avoid a week's worth of rage, fan outrage, um, yeah. yeah, or the speculation that they're they are fully handing the reins only to yank the rug out from Sylvie. I mean, it, it goes and, both ways. You might as well, yeah, nip that in the bud, I guess. And, and I, I hate I, I hate to keep bringing it back to Doctor Who, but when we see what happened when the Doctor um, shifted into a woman. Uh, there was yeah. huge outrage. They're like, oh, you know, they're trying to be social justice warriors. So I'm sure there were a lot of people sitting there watching that saying, oh, no, female Loki. I guess they're trying to check off diversity boxes. Are they idiots? Oh, yeah. Have they seen Broadchurch? She is amazing. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> My message to those people. <laughs> um, exactly. Geez. But it makes fandom a not happy place when stuff like that happens. It, it's so true. Yeah. I also think that um, I'm really glad we're not getting like uh, a, a week long press tour with Tom Hiddleston lying and being like, yep, I'm out of the show. It's over, you know, right. that would have been because we've seen that before and it builds mistrust and it's it's not cool. Uh, we have a couple uh, other snap judgments. I was just going to uh, jump over to from the comments. Uh, Karen says Loki is easily the MCU series. I can see myself rewatching. The Loki Sylvie scenes are a blast. And uh, yeah, I think this is going to lend itself to a fun rewatch. John Kelling says um, Loki learning to self love that's deemed so dangerous it could actually fracture reality is just really depressing. Loki can't even be happy for a minute. But, I, you know, I, you know on, the, on the flip side of that, I think that what we're saying about whether or not it's romantic or just a platonic love, what we see is the growth of this Loki based essentially to the same point that we had the original Loki uh, before he essentially sacrifices himself to Thanos in, um, in infinity war. And there was a, a growth and a, a, a respect for other people that, that we get Loki here truly caring and having a friendship with Mobius and truly also caring about Sylvia and her well being And, and the Loki that we had to revert to, the 2012 Loki, was very selfish. And this story has evolved him to a point where we we can see that this is the anti-hero who's becoming the hero. We can see this is um, uh, this is Jamie from 
from Game of Thrones, no longer pushing the kid out the window, but becoming the guy who's who's championing for uh, Brienne, and you know he earns his our, our trust back as the viewers. It's kind of yeah. like that, right? Very much. This episode, like, really doubled down on the idea that this series is all about Loki finding himself and figuring out who he is and who he wants to be, like, away from Asgard and all the mm. trauma and drama of life as Odin's, like, adopted son, right? It's very much a fun examination of a question that a lot of us have been asking since the first Thor movie. Is Loki truly a villain? And all along well, with the character of Loki on this show at this point, I'm thinking no, right? We we know he's always been an outsider. And in this series, we learned that he he acted like a villain in the past because he was extremely insecure. That was all out of insecurity. And that insecurity led him to believe that he'd be alone for the rest of his life. That's his deepest fear. Like we saw him admit that to Sif in this episode. And if you're that insecure and you have a, an identity crisis like he's going through and you have you always have felt like an outsider, you're never going to form like real and deep lasting relationships with people because you'll always be like defensive uh, like he was with Lady Sif, you know, like she was kind of part of his crew, but he kind of felt like he could never relate to them. So he messes with them. He cuts her hair and all that stuff like that. That's that's such a fun like portrait of this character and, and how he's growing like this. The way this show examines Loki's personality and presents his real awakening here is so fun with like apocalypses and time looping pocket dimensions and alternative alternative versions of the character uh we'll right. talk about the alligator soon it, it's very telling that that the dude who made his name working on rick and morty michael waldron is the head writer on this show because it's like exploring these deep psychological issues through this like increasingly bizarre and funny like sci-fi world yeah i can see that i mean the we already discussed the you know Loki expressing um, his concern for for Sylvie and giving up the the charade of pretending he doesn't care um, was a a big character growth moment for him. But the writers also, I thought, it did a, a a clever job with the the shorthand way of also um, getting across the the point of growth with with Loki being trapped in that that Sif um, loop where she continues to beat him up until he finally comes to grips with admitting the problems of who he is, the, the deeper set problems um, that he he's holding back. And he, you know, that coupled with, with him confiding in, in Mobius and saying, I, I am your friend and I want you to trust me because of that friendship. And like, it was just like growth after growth after growth for a character that, We've already seen that evolution before in a different timeline, but it's it's kind of it's it's still satisfying to to see that because that's the person we were rooting for from the first episode. Like mm -hmm. become yeah. that other Loki. Yeah. Well, be, become not only become that other Loki, but like transcend the the kind of hero Loki we've already seen. Right. Let's let's see mm -hmm. more and let's see what else you can be. And that's where we're headed. Well, I think what's what's fascinating in all of this is 
we see that we see the growth, especially with Lady Sith. We see um, a particular interesting exchange between him and Mobius right before Mobius is pruned. And then we see him grow before our, our eyes. It's, it's like almost literally watching the Grinch and his heart grows three sizes, right? Only then the difference is the Grinch has dinner with the people of who, and in Loki, he's pruned. And so it was kind of interesting that as we see this growth and he becomes this character, we've wanted him. I don't even know if want, wanted him to be is the right word. We knew he could be, but we weren't sure he would ever get there. He gets there, and as Loki luck would have it, he dies. Uh, what what a brilliant thing to call it pruning, right? Because what is pruning is that you forcibly stop growth, you know, and that's what happens. That's what happened to him in this episode, and we find out that's what's been happening to everybody pretty much in the TVA. Yeah. yeah, and speaking of this TVA, I mean, I've had suspicions all along that there's some kind of puppet organization, shadow organization, and I want to know who is behind it all. I want to know who the wizard is. Um, and I was getting like some very like Wizard of Oz vibes from it all since the beginning, and then actually seeing them in that room it was like, okay, pull back the curtain. Let's see the coward that's behind the curtain. And do you think that uh, it's Gugu that is, or, or Ravana, I guess, that is the, the wizard behind the curtain? I don't think so, but I think she is probably the second in command. Like, I don't think it's her. I, I, my, suspe my suspicion is that they're going to reveal it's that it's someone we know of already. Yeah. Yeah, if we're if we're looking at like I don't want to get caught in the whole Mephisto thing. Like, where's the real, you know, uh, the real villain? When's he that? When's that straight hetero male real villain gonna appear? You know, like everyone was like, like in um, what was it? Um, uh, uh, WandaVision. And it was like, oh, there's there's got to be another villain. It's not the witch next door, but it was the witch next door. Of course, it wasn't. That's fine. Um, but here it feels like. I've already seen all this discourse of like, oh, it's Kang the Conqueror is the real villain pulling the strings or some other some other villain is behind the behind the scenes here. But I don't know. Why can't it be Gugu? You know, uh, I think that would be cool. I think it's definitely going to be somebody that we've already seen um, in the show. It would be fun if it's Eugene Cordero. <laughs> you see me that, that I'm trying to pull that up. Oh, I didn't even see that. No, I, you know, Mike. I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> oh boy, I, I think that would be hilarious um, in a very Rick and Morty esque, like, like switch. You, you know, I think you know, Mike. When you talk about um, kind of Wandavision, one thing that I thought was interesting about Wandavision is there really wasn't a big bad. Like you had the the witch whose name escapes me at the Agnes. moment, Agnes. 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 Yeah, Agatha. Agatha. Agatha, but she wasn't really the big bad. She was more like, what's going on here? And I'm, I'm going to take advantage of it. I want it. But she didn't create it. It wasn't her construction. And it wasn't her ultimate, you know, master plan, right? It was just kind of, we were seeing the story around hurt and love and loss and grief. 
And I like that, I think. I don't know that we have to have this big bad. And so I'm really curious what's going to happen because we we had a, I, I guess, theoretically, we had a big bad in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, right? And so I'm kind of wondering, like, there's a whole dynamic here. What will the unveiling be, right? Like, what will it be in other than... You know, and what's the subtext that we're going to get at, and why, and where the big bad comes from? Well, I, I feel like oh, this lends itself to us going ahead and jumping in and discussing this end scene, then, because this mid-credit roll we have Loki. He's been pruned. He wakes up, uh, and if if some of you missed this mid-credit roll, um, I'm, I'm spoiling it obviously for you. But uh, Loki wakes up and he's like, am I dead? Am I in, in hell? And he looks up and finds four alternate versions of presumably Loki uh, standing over him saying, yeah, you got to come with us. And this begs an interesting question of do all of them die and go to a realm of alternate versions of them? So is Mobius surrounded by a bunch of other Mobiuses? Or um, is is this potentially what Mike had theorized early on? And man, I want to go back and find uh, the question for it. Here it is from Will Morris. Um, Mike, is your Owen Wilson equals Loki variant theory still alive or have we put it to bed? Because now the question is, are they all Lokis? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) That would be interesting. I'm not sure because uh, at this point, I actually want, I really want Morpheus to be uh, Morpheus. I really want Mobius to be Mobius and not a Loki. Um, Because it's kind of getting ridiculous. Everything can be a Loki, you know, like. He's a shapeshifter. This is a Loki. Okay. You know, (laughs) like it's getting a little silly. I I like it, but. um, You're the guy who likes Ralph Boner. So. (laughs) Yeah, I I love Ralph Boner. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but in terms of like where, like w- I'm gonna plop this picture back up here. In terms of where um, um, Richard E. Grant and his homies, along with the alligator Loki, like in terms of what's going on here, like your question was, do does everybody who get who gets pruned get sent to a pocket dimension where like other pruned versions of them are awaiting them and they they're just trapped there? I don't think so. Um, I think maybe everyone is. This, because I think one of these buildings here, I think to the right, is the Avengers Tower. And we see it hmm. just totally wasted, right? Can you see it? Looking. Yeah. I'm looking. What yeah. I've been looking at, this backdrop, is it almost looks like after like New York is decimated in the first Avengers movie. Right. Hmm. So it's it's almost like there is a, a certain real timeline where, where yeah. Loki's attack on New York played out, and that's where these Lokis are. Um, well, but, but is everyone else there? Is everyone else who was pruned sent to this like decimated, shitty timeline for punishment or just to hide? I, I don't know. Or I is need- this Loki's nexus event? Is this where the multiple Lokis happened? Hmm. Okay. I, I need does, to know more does- about this... Uh- this black Loki with a Thor hammer who looks like Theo Huxtable from the Cosby show. I need to, <laughs> I need to know who Theo Loki is. 
we, we get this question these characters. From, did they really? They named these oh, wait, characters we, in, in the credits, yeah. Ooh. Uh, we got this question from Angel uh, Bourgeois. It says, does Mobius wake up in a reality of Owen Wilson characters? Is Lightning McQueen there? I would love it. I would love could that be. so much. I mean, it's a um, Disney property, so mm-hmm. we could uh. get some crossover. <laughs> oh, no, I want Mike, to be hilarious. Dignan from what are the, Rocket to show up. What are the names of these characters? Do you yeah, have I'm going to find them. Okay. Okay, okay. I thought maybe you had it up. Um, John Kelling says uh, no because Stark Tower didn't have the Quinjet hangar in the first Avengers movie. Oh, is that how? It, mm. Potentially. Um, this is such a confusing scene, though, because he got sent here. What is the pruning doing then? Is the pruning simply dissolving you into an alternate reality is there some sort of junk timeline where everyone got sent i mean it it doesn't seem like it's a coincidence that he would be that loki would find himself facing alternate loki's including it's very important to point out that's kid loki who's being set up for what the young avengers right like they have most of the cast for the young avengers now including there's a kid loki um that's but such no. a great name, by the way. Yeah, Kid so, Loki. Like J- that's a cool name, Kid Loki. So yeah, the the actor Jack Veal is credited in the show as Kid Loki. Um, let's see. The actor on the left is credited as Boastful Loki. The actor Dubai Opari is his name, and Richard E. Grant on the right in the classic Loki costume is credited as Classic Loki. Classic. What about Gator Loki? No, no credit there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's an actor. I think that's a bunch of ones and zeros. <laughs> fair, fair. Uh, I, no, I want another I, name though. I want them to put the Loki horns on an alligator. <laughs> so, do you guys think that? Like, I assumed that who we heard talking to Loki was the Gator, but was it Richard E. Grant? Do you guys uh, think? I, I thought it was. Will Morris said Richard E. Grant looks like he's dressed for Comic-Con. I agree. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, did anybody's lips move? I don't I, remember. We, no, we never, we never see anyone talking. All of a sudden, right. we look up and see this scene, and I was like, oh, I bet it's the gator talking to yeah. him because that would be wacky. <laughs> uh, Probably was. But, but I don't know. I, I, I also love seeing uh, Richard E. Grant wearing this classic Loki outfit because we also got in WandaVision the classic uh, costumes for Wanda and Vision. And so it's fun that the shows are, are finding some weird opportunity to show those classic costumes here. Yeah, I, I want to visit the world where the Richard E. Grant Loki, um, where it was acceptable to him to run around in this Kermit the Frog costume. Am I the only one who thinks this costume is horrible? Is that just yes. me? No. Okay. Oh no, that's just... what I'm saying. This is. It's I mean, it's... the hat alone. I'm just thinking, how many things would you like get caught on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Like, it's, it's impractical. It's impractical. Also, Maybe he's boastful... just like seven feet tall, and it, it's okay. Yeah. Boastful Loki sounds like uh, one of the Seven Dwarves, and it looks like it's like a almost like a steampunk Mjolnir thing. I don't know like what this hammer is, but it's it looks it's like, got more structure yeah. to it and it's it's not like a, a a stone made in a dying star as the the main part of the hammer. There's a lot um, happening with that hammer. Some some dude in Brooklyn made that. 
the the entire outfit though right? is very steampunk. Yeah, and and he wherever he's from, it's cold because he's got like the fur collar going on. Yeah. Which you know, I I mean to be honest with you, I'm looking at this outfit and going, can I pull this off? Could I wear this? Do it, do it. I, I mean, Mike, you're always trying to get me to like dress up. That is an outfit I might be willing to rock. That's pretty. <laughs> got some buttons. Do yeah. it, do it, well, do so. As long as so, Brad uh, dresses up like classic Loki. And I'm down for kid Loki. <laughs> that leaves oh. Melissa as crocky. <laughs> I'm there. You gotta be, be crocky. <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> croaky? <gasps> croaky. Croaky. I love it. Um, croaky. <laughs> so we don't, I, we don't know um, what's going on with this weird ass planet. I, I, I don't know if people gave us some of their theories. Let's see. John Kelling says, what if this is a post age of Ultron world where Ultron won and helped wipe out the planet. But, but again, like why did Loki get sent here when he got pruned? Like there's something weird there. If, if King the conqueror is potentially the, the puppet master behind this world and, and the TVA operates in the the uh, what's it called the quantum realm, right? So it operates outside of the effects of the the Infinity Stones, and it's tiny, and and that fits with the King of the Conqueror's story. If he's operating out there, but it's all a little bit of a of a charade, um, then maybe he's having he's plucking people out of time and then giving them these fake tasks where it's like, Oh, you need to go prune this timeline and you need to pluck another person out for me. So I have more people that are doing work for me. And so he's essentially building a, a very corporate army to do his bidding. And maybe sometimes they go out and do tasks that he needs to conquer new worlds. And they're all doing it under an assumption that, they're pruning timelines, but they're not really. He's just building an army and conquering worlds. That is a very logical assumption, and I don't think it's true at all. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because well, know. we know that Kang the Conqueror is going to be the villain in the next Ant-Man movie. And I, why? He's just going to be an Ant-Man movie villain. Thank you. That's it. Thank you, you Mike. Yeah. And, and I don't yeah. think that we would spend so much time building up such a uh, a, a, a part of the Marvel world that is so like strange and powerful and, and can hop to all different timelines based on just like some dude who's an Ant-Man. The thing about an Ant, to me at least, when I think about an Ant-Man villain, this is going to sound harsh, but whatever. Bring the hate, my friend. This needs to be a movie that if I don't see, doesn't ruin the rest of the timeline for me. Because Ant Man is, I don't, I haven't seen the box office mojo numbers, but I'd be willing to take a guess that of all of the Marvel movies, Ant Man is probably in the low, the low fifth, right? That, it's got to be at the bottom. They're fine, they're fun, but it's just they're, It's kind of like the Marvel, uh, it, it, the minor part of Marvel yeah. cinema right now, which is fine. Oh, uh, John Kelling is saying I have a friend who immediately said boastful Loki is his next Halloween costume for the next few years. It's catching on, Clyde. We got to see you in it in October. (laughs) Okay. 
Okay, well then let's go ahead and jump to the other big question. Um, we get the decapitated, uh, what do you call it, Chuck E. Cheese animatronics of the timekeepers. Um, there, there was definitely a vibe that felt like Darth Sidious, Star Wars, um, even Palpatine-esque, um, when they're brought into this chamber where they're just sitting up there looking down upon Loki and, and Sylvie. And it seemed like, okay, there's something sinister with these people, but we finally get to see them. This is kind of cool and exciting. Only to have that reveal that they're also fake and that it's, it's, it's a wizard of Oz kind of thing. So um, how do you, how does one set that up and how does, how does Ravana not know? She has to know, right? Well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, I'm trying to think back when it happens. Does she seem surprised? She seems like that. she was getting, she's getting her ass. I saw, well, yes. I saw on Reddit someone said that when the heads get when the first head gets cut off, the other two keep laughing, and then it sounds like someone in the background says, "See you soon," like in a whisper. That's I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but uh, I didn't go back and listen. No, like I you thought... cannot believe what you read on Reddit. That's just <laughs> what. Well, what I like here is that this scene, even though it's like it looks incredible especially with like the neon smoke and everything and and the triumvirate up there but it's also like so tropey and to find out that it was just somebody in the show creating a trope is great it's just totally in line with what this show is doing delivering the unexpected i have one my one complaint about this show so far is in this scene and i don't know if anyone else had the same issue but I could not understand what some of the timekeepers were saying. I rewound it and fa and listened to it a few times. And then finally I had to turn the closed captioning on because I could not understand the first, the first one that spoke. Yes. The second two, it was like, what on earth are they <laughs> mumbling? I, I know it's gotta be something important. And uh, so finally I broke down. I actually, I don't think it was that important, but are you telling me you're not at the point where you watch you're you're not watching everything automatically with closed captions on? Because no. I'm at that point already. No, the, the problem with that is if the closed captions aren't good, then I read what's happening before it actually takes That's place. True. That's true. And if you're if if it's something where there's a reveal, that just destroys it for you. For for me, if they make a an error like the it's not written exactly as the words are said. It just bugs me. So yeah. I tend not to. I, I need him. I could not have gotten through like Mayor of Easttown without him. <laughs> With that accent. Well, I had that I, Canadian I mean, advantage there. I, I think it was a little easier for me to understand yep. Mayor. Even so, if they're no going to have the timekeepers be a little mush mouth like that, you can still just put captions on there yeah mm. yeah you know so, sometimes they'll go talk to someone who's speaking english but they go people aren't gonna know what this person's saying they'll put captions underneath you can oh. do that with uh aliens too guys in marvel i've i've watched shows where they put closed captions under someone who's speaking english but they're from scotland yeah right yeah thank you thank you for, <laughs> on my behalf 
<laughs> yeah, like it, in uh, what's that movie where Brad Pitt is uh, Snatch, where he's like doing this this crazy "I need a caravan for me, me" accent, and you can't you don't don't know what the hell he's saying, even though he's speaking English, but you get the the subtitles embedded into the movie. Yeah, <laughs> there was a really touching scene where. You know, B-15 breaks in and gets Sylvie to unlock her mind and see into the past. And then when when she comes back to, to our reality, she goes, I look so happy. And it's just a heartbreaking line from her. Um, and, you know, definitely Mobius was doing something with jet skis then. That, that's a, he's a 90s boy. Well, I mean, I thought that was kind of cool, but my one nit to pick is why not show us what B-15 saw? I really feel they just wanted to stay on the actor's face. And I think that worked really well because throughout the entire series, we've been we've been seeing this actor. um Let's see, wouldn't be Masako. Masako, yeah, as as a, a hardliner, right? For for mm-hmm. the TVA, the hardest of hardliners, and I it would have also been effective, like you're saying, Clyde, to see her in a different context with the memory, and maybe have that juxtaposition. But I I really appreciated like seeing the the realization and the change happen just in that one shot on her on her face. I think that was really effective. Right. And I mean, with the with the uh, was it B twenty? I think was the other character who yeah. uh, went back in time. We established C20. she was C twenty. We established that that was like maybe like the aughts, or it yeah. could have been like the eighties. But it, if you're talking about like you have the option of plucking people throughout time, and then this next character is also going to be kind of around that same time period, also on Earth. I'm like, I don't know, like what. Are, are they all just being plucked from the 90s? <laughs> Is that what's I going mean, it, on here? Maybe they held back showing us the the memory of Hunter B-15 because we'll we'll get some like crazy reveal that, you know, she was a cave person or, or something wild. You know, maybe she's from the 1800s or something like yeah, I would like super out in space, like way futuristic or something we can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, the. Other thing I wanted to kind of touch on a little bit is um, we we explore a bit more of the relationship between Mobius and Ravana, and it feels like it feels like a one sided relationship a bit, <laughs> where he mm-hmm. has kind of this this Confirm. respect for her, yeah, and uh, she's she's lying and she's um, obviously okay with uh, him. She kills him. <laughs> And it, it's kind of sad because uh, even in the intro credits, they hint at like her other, um, her other analyst, and I thought we were going to see who that was. Um, and I was expecting it to be another version of Mobius to pop up, but we don't we don't see it. It's Reed um, Richards. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Reed Richards. It's going to pop in. How do you compete with that? I don't know. Did you guys have any other thoughts on on their relationship? Yeah, I think uh, I want to talk about real quick the what what was Sylvie's nexus event because we get this beautiful quick summation of her story where she's in Asgard, she's a kid, 
and she's mm-hmm. playing with dolls and she's she's playing on the side of the good guys right oh here comes valkyrie to save the day right and doesn't seem like the loki we know and then they come in they prune everything around her and they take her away and then she's smart enough to get away in the courtroom and she tries to ask gugu what was my what was my nexus event and gugu obviously lies and says i don't remember so what was that event and why it is so why is it so important was it that most because of all this pruning they so whoever's doing this pruning needs loki to be some kind of trickster villain and this version was showing signs that she was not going to be that so they had to take her out of the equation Hmm. i mean i almost wonder if it's one of those cases of if if you see all these timelines and you you know what will result from you plucking someone out she's maybe the you know the chosen one she is um she's the one that can help bring down the rest of the TVA and maybe that's what this person man behind the curtain wants maybe they want Sylvie to tear down the rest of the structure for some other ulterior motive there's a lot of mystery that we don't know and this show is very smart about how they're doling certain things out and then really keeping things quiet well and aren't there only two more episodes yeah there's only two there's a lot to be covered. <laughs> they better be two hours long each. They, they, I, you know, no matter what happens, I get the feeling they're going to be great. Um, and I think that's what we get with with TV today, is that you can instead of having twenty two episodes of meh, you're going to get six really strong episodes. Right? This is a a, a movie cinema s, you know miniseries and i think um i'm expecting big things for these last two episodes it's Uh, also a very oh sorry go ahead (laughs) just real quick john kelling says i'm sure her nexus event was probably becoming noble she was even concerned for that random variant at the tva that's true they the show went, went kind of went out of his way to show that this is a good kid well i think that's a really interesting point because all the Loki, well, the Loki that we know is 100% mischievous with these moments of like heroism. But everything that we've really seen from Sylvie thus far is that she's actually a hero, right? In the traditional sense of, of the hero. She's noble, yeah. She, she's noble. She's got higher purpose. And that higher purpose isn't necessarily to serve herself. Part of what she's doing is trying to free and expose the hideous TVA. Yeah. Right? So Listen, I... I, I, cut, I cut you off I'm, on something, Melissa. I'm back. Oh, I was just going to say, having six episodes, like, I've always been a big fan of British television that tends to have, you know, the shorter seasons. And one of the advantages of that is that you have this really tight, crisp story and not a lot of filler. And I I kind of really appreciate that Marvel's taking that approach. Um, for people who aren't used to watching, you know, British or even some of the Australian series and stuff like that that are shorter, 
Um, I can understand them being frustrated that they're not getting enough, but I really appreciate how efficient they are with these storylines in like this compact format. Seriously, Australian television is, is it's severely underrated. It's excellent. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm extremely confident that the, um, that the fifth episode will be great. And then the sixth one will probably just shit the bed. (laughs) (laughs) Just like Falcon and just like WandaVision. Just like a lot of shows, right? The penultimate is like the better episode. Yeah. Penultimate's great. I don't know. I feel like what always happens is that Marvel comes in and goes, hey, I just want to adjust that final episode for how it leads into everything. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why'd you do that, dude? (laughs) You undercut what was uh, the direction that this was clearly going. So that does tend to happen. Yeah. Um, we had, uh, did you hit up on this, this, uh, comment here? Oh no. Yeah. Angelie said, I saw a theory somewhere that because, uh, she knew she was adopted, she was more capable of self-love and heroism. Oh, Hmm. honestly, it's the best policy. (laughs) That makes it like even sadder, more tragic. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I think we've we've for the most part covered everything. I wanted to see if you guys had any other uh, closing thoughts, both on this episode and um, expectations for the the final two episodes. Um, Melissa, if you want to start, um, just I I thought this was such a fantastic episode, and I am really excited for the final two. And I just cannot stress how much I am impressed by Sophia DiMartino's portrayal of Sophie. Of Sylvie. <laughs> I keep wanting to call her Sophie. It's Sophia's the woman, Sylvie's the character. She's just fantastic. And everything I learn about her is, is just so exceptional. And just a really interesting little thing that I discovered today. Um, and if you go to the Fem TV Twitter, I retweeted it. Apparently, um, while she was filming this, she was nursing a child. And they actually made yeah. the costume so that there were zippers on the front. So she had easy access for feeding her child or for pumping as needed. And I'm like, how many people would make those accommodations for a performer so that they could still do their job? And I just, I have to say kudos to them for that. Hopefully a lot more. That's great. Hopefully Mm -hmm. a lot more. Yeah. I saw that on Reddit. Mike, take that. (laughs) Clyde, uh, what, what about you? Um, I, I kind of want to echo what Melissa said when I think about Sophie, Sophia. Um, I didn't know anything about her. She was an unknown. And and I love that because this is a moment where I'm four episodes in and I'm like, I'm looking at a rock star. Like, I can't wait to see where her career goes. And I will say in the U.S. Um, because I, I, I think that her portrayal I, you know, the subtleties of her facial expressions, the the heartwarmingness, but the dark kind of grief that she has for having lo- lost this life, the mistrust. Like, she does it all really admirably. Um, and I'm excited to see what happens next. I, again, I think this is a really fun show. Um, and I, unlike Grant... Um, uh, my my glass is half full. I'm thinking the next two episodes are going to crush it, and we're going to be missing Loki very soon. Mike, I just want to echo what everybody's saying about Sophie Di Martino. I 
pretty sure we're going to have her around in the MCU for a while, and, and the more the better. Um, this might be weird. The idea, uh, like Loki, made a big thing about his his fear of being alone. I think the idea that maybe Loki won't end up alone, maybe because he's now found a partner in Sylvie, an alternate version of himself, which if it's romantic, if it's platonic, whatever, but seems like he's found somebody, right? I think that idea is really beautiful and powerful, but also kind of comically tragic because from a certain point of view, even if he does end up with Sylvie as some kind of life partner, he'll still kind of be alone because she is him. Hmm. (laughs) This show's kind of nuts that way. I mean, it just, it's just that Rick and Morty logic, you know, where something like that could happen. So it's, it's pretty wild, but um, I was actually really excited for a second when Loki got pruned and when our Loki got pruned and it seemed like our Loki going forward was going to be Sophie. Um, And then when they, they revealed all these other Lokis. I was kind of disappointed. I was like, oh, there's okay. There's a bunch of them, but, <laughs> but that still doesn't undercut the fact that, that uh, Sylvie is such a powerful character. And I think it's going to have a lot of weight in the MCU to come. Um, I have two closing thoughts. One is uh, Mobius bear come back and he better get his jet ski. Yes. Yes. And uh, two, nothing. Oh, whoops. Nothing better happen to croaky. <laughs> Keep Croaky safe. Croaky is too precious. Uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> Kang the Conqueror is going to show up and make some boots out of Croaky. I, no, I was thinking a nice good. belt. Or is jet ski <laughs> not actually jet ski, and it's an acronym the same way that Tahiti was an acronym for Colson? How are you just going to blow like our a- mind at the, like <laughs> in the last minute? That sounds like a hot quake. <laughs> That sounds... Save that for that minute like sixty. A... We had to have one. Yeah, man. Just, Just saying. Mike, <laughs> see, this is why I was like, Melissa's on the show. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta see what's up because you just knew there was gonna be a mic drop at some point. <laughs> it just kind of dawned on me. I'm like, what? Like jet ski. Tahiti. <laughs> no, please, no. There's, the um, Cree are involved. Uh, don't mention that show. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, Want to go ahead and... Uh, uh, Clyde, where, where can people check you out? You can find me on Twitter at Clyde Haynes. You can find me on the web at www.keyandclyde.com. That's K-E-I and Clyde.com. Melissa, thank you again for joining us. And where can people check you out? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Televixen or on at my website femtvpodcast.com. Awesome, Mike. Do you want people to find you? You can find me at Mike Moody Garcia on Twitter. Of course, come and find me. <laughs> uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Um, don't come look for me. I will find you. Uh, this is MCU <laughs> Pod. And we're excited to talk about our penultimate episode next week. It's, it's kind of sad that we're coming to the end, but I'm really excited to see what they do. Um, but you know how we wrap things up <laughs> with hot quakes. <laughs> no, 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 no. MCU later. Later.